Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hey, grab the stool and order a lot because we got a lot to do not only today but this week. Today, of course, the Iowa caucuses, tomorrow, State of the Union, later in the week, a presidential debate, and oh, yeah. Closing arguments for impeachment trial in the Senate today, uh, floor speeches tomorrow, and probably a bunch on Wednesday, and then an acquittal vote on Wednesday. So, Jim, uh, easy week. No no reason to pace yourself at all. <laughs> you know, who, who puts a Democratic debate on a Friday night? A party that doesn't want you to watch it. Jeez Louise. You know what? Was Saturday booked? You know? <laughs> they didn't run it, couldn't run it at the same time as the Super Bowl? <laughs> Speaking of which, I had other obligations for the first half, but I saw the second half, kept tabs on the score as best I could in the first half. Exciting game. Looked like the Niners had it, but the Chiefs uh, ended up uh, outscoring them 21-0 in the fourth quarter and winning 31-20. to A lot of the chatter uh, details the halftime show, the attire, and the, uh, and the dancing. Uh, some folks thought it was uh, hearkening back uh, pretty close to the Janet Jackson era. Uh, others uh, talked about the fact that uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce didn't stand for the national anthem. Others pointed out that Trump thinks that the Kansas City Chiefs play in Kansas City, Kansas, which does exist, but not where the team is based. So, Jim, the Groundhog Day ad was my favorite. At least I can come to that conclusion. Yeah. uh, My only quibble is that if you love the film, as I do, and most people do, and you, you know, Jonah Goldberg famously wrote a cover piece talking about all of the kind of, you know, philosophical and spiritual implications uh, of that film. The ad kind of undoes all the lessons of the film. (laughs) that it's not that you need to reach enlightenment. It's not that you need to learn to be a better person. It's not that we can only find meaning in our lives when we, you know, devote ourselves to helping others. No, you just needed a Jeep all along. (laughs) But it was very funny. We all love seeing uh, Bill Murray again. Um, Yeah. I I think my, my attitude, I, I enjoyed the whole game. I think it's very weird. I think this was a strangely, a very enjoyable Super Bowl, but a strangely passionless one unless you live in San Francisco or Kansas City. And Kansas City fans, you know, God bless you. Congratulations. Savor this win. I know it's been a long wait, almost as long as it is for us New York Jets fans. Um, You're your next year, man. Definitely. I was going to say, you know, (laughs) for the Niners, you went from 4-12 and to being in the Super Bowl. You're built to be a, you know, great team for many years to come. So everybody should be happy. I think because these two teams are relatively new on the scene, I don't think anybody hates them yet. (laughs) <laughs> Unless, you know, you're, you know, they're a division rival or something. You know, like new players, every, almost everybody likes Andy Reid. Everybody's happy to see him win. This was kind of just a feel-good kumbaya Super Bowl. And you don't seem to get too many of those, but that's what happens, Craig, when the Patriots aren't there. <laughs> well, you had some folks cheering against the Niners because that's where Pelosi's from. So, I mean, there were definitely some political uh, implications going, but not as, not as many as usual. You're right about that. So, anyway, we'll let the, uh, we'll let the social media do what the social media does and uh, get on to our job here. We want to let you know we're sponsored today by another brand new sponsor, Bluevine. Get bluevine.com slash martini and apply, and we'll have much more on that in just a little bit. So, we have uh, all crazy martinis today, and all of them are related, to, well, to politics. I was going to say all related to the Iowa caucuses, but really the first one's not. Meet the Press was in Iowa in preparation for today's caucuses, but the, the topic at hand was impeachment. And Anna Palmer from Politico was there with Chuck Todd. 
And even as we're getting the closing arguments for the impeachment trial today, Jim, the Democrats aren't ready to pack up shop here. They're getting ready for the next impeachment. And we're not talking about if Trump wins re-election. Here's Anna Palmer. And you got to love Chuck Todd's reaction at the end. But to your point on Nancy Pelosi, and, and I'm up the Capitol a lot, I actually think this is not ending in the Senate. The House Democrats are going to want to hear from Josh, John Bolton. They are going to want to continue the investigation. I was talking to an operative just this week, and they were saying this is not going to be the last time this president is impeached. Okay, Chuck Todd knows how well the first one worked, and he's been exasperated at Republicans. So when he thinks it's a bad idea, you know, it's probably a really bad idea. So, uh, Jim, when you talk about impeachment because of impending John Bolton testimony, you got to think that they're not talking about 2021. Uh, The Democrats are allegedly ready to go down this road again. Have they learned nothing from Hollywood and how sequels very rarely as good as the original? Especially when the original is not very good. Yeah, you know, the, if, if the first one, there's an interesting school of thought going around that actually this will turn into a major disaster for the Democratic Party. I don't think it'd be quite that bad, but the argument is that this, this really whips up the base. This really gets their blood pumping. This gets them fired up and determined. We're going to show that president, oh, we can't stand him. And then you go through this process and it ends short of not only two thirds votes, but they may get no Republican votes. Maybe they get one or two, you know. You end up with less than half, probably. Trump is going to come out and he's going to say he's vindicated. He's going to say he's vindicated, probably. He's going to go off script tomorrow night at the State of the Union. And there'll be this whole sense of what did we get from this? What, you know, his his poll numbers are roughly about where they are. If anything, this really seemed to energize a lot of Republican voters. His number of people who approve strongly has gone up. This didn't work out the way they were expecting. And they kind of wonder if at some point there's going to be some sort of letdown period. Um, this sense or like that you can only keep that that passion going for so long and people will fairly ask what did it yield the democratic party what did they what did they get out of this they stayed unified other than two of them jeff van dyke flipped parties they're probably all going to stick together in the senate maybe you get one or two maybe a three i don't know what did it do Uh, it certainly didn't chasten trump any it certainly didn't change his behavior if anything he probably feels more emboldened you know impeachment is the biggest stick you have right it's the biggest Uh, consequential action Congress can do. And once you've done that, the idea of going to that well a second time seems kind of ridiculous because everything's just going to turn out the same way. It reinforces the Trump narrative of these folks never gave me a chance. These folks were never interested in working with me. These guys never recognized that I had won an election fair and square. They were trying to obstruct me from day one. And look at where we are, America. Look what I've been able to do, even with them obstructing me. And I think it's going to work. Not in everywhere, not in every community, not in every state. But uh, I, I don't know. Everybody's convinced that Pelosi is this great strategic genius. I think people are going to look at this and say, no, no, the Democrats really, they spent an enormous amount of time catering to their base and ended up with really nothing other than having spent a whole bunch of months on this instead of, say, you know, healthcare legislation or something that people really are paying attention to beyond the beltway. No, I think this was either about making sure the base stayed motivated for the election or protecting her own uh, leadership position from a left flank attack in the next uh, leadership elections following uh, this next election, assuming the Democrats maintain control of the House. So I think this was more about uh, political and and personal tactics than uh, her thinking that this was definitely necessary to do. 
All right, Jim, let's talk about the Iowa caucuses uh, in, in a little bit here. But one of the reasons that we don't have 20 some candidates anymore in the Iowa caucuses is because some of them saw that they weren't getting a very good return for their investment and uh, they didn't have the money left to do what they needed to do. But sometimes when it comes to a small business, uh, your cash flow doesn't match the speed of your growth. That's usually not the problem for political candidates. If they're running out of cash, it's because their donors don't see much of an opportunity there. But Bluevine can provide you and your growth with access to the fast funding your business needs with funding solutions that are actually tailored to you. Bluevine is an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit of up to $250,000. So whether you need money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, or pay an unexpected expense, through Bluevine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit, and Bluevine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is easy. Just go online to getbluevine.com slash martini, fill out a few simple details, and you're done with your application within minutes. Seeing an offer will not affect your credit score. Once approved, funds can be received as quickly as 24 hours. Have peace of mind knowing that funds can be drawn with the click of a mouse button for any business expense. Bluevine has helped more than 20,000 customers and has delivered more than $2.5 billion, that's a billion with a B, in funds for businesses. Bluevine also has advisors available by phone to answer any questions and help meet your business needs. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and nearly a five-star review on Trustpilot, you'll see why thousands of satisfied business owners have chosen Bluevine as their go-to source for financing. And for Three Martini Lunch listeners, Bluevine is offering a special limited-time promotion of a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Bluevine. Go to getbluevine.com slash martini for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash martini and apply. That's quick, easy, and a meaningful help to your business in as little as 24 hours. This promotional offer is subject to terms and conditions that can be found at getbluevine.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about impeachment and the Iowa caucuses all in one. Uh, some of the candidates made their rounds on the Sunday morning shows. Pete Buttigieg was on several of them. As <laughs> Did I do that right now? You did. Apparently, that's the way. We, apparently, apparently, all those boot edge signs—they're lying. Apparently, they're wrong. <laughs> anyway, so Andrew Yang, uh, since Warren and Biden and Sanders wanted nothing to do with these shows, uh, some of the uh, next tier guys actually got a chance. So Andrew Yang on this week with George Stephanopoulos, and in a previous interview uh, a little while back, Yang had said he'd be open to the idea if it even gets to the to the point where Trump would need to be pardoned uh, if he were to leave office uh, shortly after losing the election. Uh, This is probably more Democratic fantasy in the media and elsewhere than anything else, but you never know. And so uh, Andrew Yang doesn't think necessarily going down the prosecution route with an ex-president is the best thing. So George Stephanopoulos asked him about it. One of your competitors, Elizabeth Warren, has said that if she's elected president, she's going to appoint a task force to investigate President Trump's wrongdoing if she's elected. You suggested, though, that a President Yang might pardon President Trump. Why? 
Well, you have to see what the facts on the ground are, and certainly I'd listen to the guidance uh, of my attorney general. But if you look, George, at uh, history around the world, it's a very, very nasty pattern that developing countries have fallen into where a new president ends up throwing the, the president before them in jail. And that pattern, unfortunately, makes it very hard for any party to govern uh, sustainably moving forward with a sense of unity among the, the, their people. And so to me, America should try to avoid that pattern, if at all possible. So, Jim, I, I think with the hindsight of history, most people think that Gerald Ford did the right thing in pardoning Richard Nixon. They certainly didn't think so at the time, and it most likely cost him the 1976 election against Jimmy Carter, which then cost America for the next four years. But that's a whole different tangent to go on. With uh, Elizabeth Warren and others definitely having a vindictive streak here, Andrew Yang, even though he's the neophyte here in this campaign, politically speaking, seems to just have better instincts all the way around in this campaign than most of his rivals. Yeah, I mean, for a long time in American politics, there was this attitude of the candidate who was looking forward instead of looking backward is the one that's going to win. Very often that has turned out to be the case. Very, you know, The idea of, yes, if you're, you're a challenger to an incumbent, you want to beat that incumbent, but then you also kind of want to close the door on that. You want to focus on what you want to do for the country and, and build it in the future. You don't want to rehash a lot of battles in the past. Now, look, maybe Democrats are so mad about Trump that they're going to spend all their time, you know, wanting to relitigate all these old battles. I've seen, I think it was the New Republic said, America needs a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, kind of like they had in South Africa after apartheid for dealing with the after effects of the Trump administration. Um, there are some Democrats who clearly are very comfortable with this. I don't think that's actually where the most of the country is. I think the reaction to impeachment kind of indicates that. Look, if you want to take the country in a different direction, talk about that different direction. Don't spend a lot of time talking about how, no, no, in 2017, we should have done this differently. In 2018, we should have done that differently, you know. And just kind of more generally, the fact that, you know, Yang alone is answering this question and kind of taking this stance. I think, you know, when all is said and done, Greg, the story of Andrew Yang is going to be one of the most fascinating ones of this entire Democratic presidential primary cycle because a lot of folks like you and I who are not big fans of the uh, uh, mandatory income initiative or whatever it is. Universal uh, basic income. Universal basic income. Thank you. I like getting the word mandatory in there. You know, <laughs> um, like there's, there's a lot in his agenda we don't like, but we still find him pretty likable. And I think there's it's a little bit of this, a little bit of his fact that he doesn't seem to answer questions like a, a well-trained, focused, grouped politician. Um, he seems like a regular human being. And, and I think it's kind of fascinating that so far, certainly in Iowa and in a bunch of these early states, Democratic primary voters are looking at this and saying, mm, nah, not interested. Now, some of these other states like California, New York, maybe he'll do a little bit better. But um, if I'm a Democrat, the fact that they just had no interest in what Andrew Yang is selling uh, strikes me as kind of another potential red flag in this entire cycle. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the fact that he's the guy that seems the most normal of this whole bunch. And uh, one of the reasons that he hasn't gotten as much talking time, the biggest reason, of course, is he doesn't get asked questions. But secondly, he doesn't use the whole time. He answers a question in a sentence or two a lot of the time. He's done. He's not going to sit there and pander for the next 40 seconds because he still has time on the clock. So, you know, and we disagree, like you said, with Andrew Yang about most positions. But the guy's looking at it in a more pragmatic way than a lot of other people. He understands how the economy is shifting. He understands how... Uh, innovation is going to change a lot of things. And uh, most people want to stick their head in the sand. And instead, they're going to vote for people in their 70s. And that doesn't mean that they can't be on the cutting edge of uh, technology. But both Joe Biden and, and Bernie Sanders, and Biden in particular, is talking about 
you know, I'm the guy that you know you trusted all those years before. He's not necessarily the greatest visionary. And Bernie Sanders, of course, pretty much wants to destroy the economy. So uh, <laughs> there you go. All right, let's move on to our third crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, I know this is going to be a really hard story for you to believe, given your work on the Kerry spot, which is impossible to believe was 16 years ago that John Kerry was the uh, Democratic presidential nominee. But nonetheless. God, we're old, Greg. (laughs) Yes, we are. But nonetheless, uh, John Kerry's in Iowa. And according to NBC News, he was overheard in the hotel restaurant at the Renaissance. Is that Savory, Savory Hotel? Uh, Apparently speaking loud enough for reporters to overhear him at a prominent hotel in Des Moines the weekend before the Iowa caucuses, talking to someone. And it seemed like he was talking about what it would take to get into this campaign at the uh, at the last minute here. And so he was quoted as saying, maybe I'm expletive deleted, deluding myself here and then explaining that in order to run, he'd have to step down from the board of Bank of America and give up his ability to make paid speeches. And then he'd have to have donors And he specifically mentioned venture capitalist Doug Hickey would have to raise a couple million dollars, but might be willing to do that because they see the reality of Bernie possibly becoming the nominee now. So it's not out of the question. Now, Kerry, for his part, is saying he was explaining to a friend why it makes no sense for him to do this because it's too late and all the hurdles that would be in front of him. His official tweet says, as I told the reporter, I'm absolutely not running for president. Any report otherwise is categorically false. I've been proud to campaign with my good friend Joe Biden, who is going to win the nomination, beat Trump, and make an outstanding president. So, Jim, I should have had you read that in John Kerry's voice, but uh, I'm sure you have a hard time imagining uh, John Kerry uh, in in the midst of a hotel restaurant uh, beating his chest about what it would take for him to win. (laughs) Would that it were, Greg. Would that it were. (laughs) Um... (laughs) You know, I figured if there was any place a man like me could get a decent amount of privacy, it's in the lobby of a major hotel in Iowa the day before the caucuses. That You would never expect a reporter to be hanging around there and listening to someone like me. I mean, I suppose in his defense, a lot of us just don't listen to John Kerry, period. <laughs> so that's why he would assume. No. So I, I'm going to do something really uncharacteristic, Greg. I'm going to kind of defend John Kerry in the sense that, the, first of all, I went back and I have a corner post I'm working on on this. More than half the states, I believe, have had their filing deadline for the Democratic presidential primary pass. So you can't you you wouldn't be on the ballot. You'd basically have to be running a write in campaign at this point uh, for the Democratic nomination. The window closed. It was really closing starting in November, much more in November. You can't jump in right before or right after the Iowa caucus ends. It's a lot of cases you're just not going to be on the ballot. So the, the scenario in which somebody asks John Kerry, boy, if you wanted to run, what would you have to do? And Kerry's laying out all of these obstacles, uh, personal obstacles, financial obstacles, legal obstacles, political obstacles, pretty likely. I think what is much more significant, though, is that it sounds like John Kerry and is speaking for a lot of people in the Democratic establishment who are suddenly waking up and realizing Bernie Sanders could win this thing. And we may feel like Bernie Sanders has a really good chance of winning this thing, depending on how tonight goes. We may feel like, okay, maybe it's not as likely. Right now, based on the polls, you'd say Bernie Sanders is probably going to come in first in the Iowa caucus. Now, the top four are all going to land pretty close together. And this, the, the difference between first place and fourth place is probably going to be like six or seven delegates. But Sanders is looking pretty good in New Hampshire, and he's looking pretty close in Nevada. Now, okay, so, you know, South Carolina is going to be a... Uh, probably, you know, at this point, it looks like a solid Biden win. And, you know, 
But you add all that up. Bernie Sanders is in a very similar situation at minimum to do what he did last time, which is go all the way to the end. Um, Bernie Sanders, and we all know Bernie Sanders has some crazy impassioned supporters who will walk across broken glass. Not a whole bunch of other candidates have that. So you add all that up, Bernie Sanders could be the nominee. And I think a lot of Democrats who we have not always enjoyed, who are not, who we wouldn't really think of as being centrist, um, who still look at it and realize, holy smokes, if we nominate a socialist, um, look, I don't think Bernie Sanders is, you know, definitely going to lose. I think the possibility of him losing in a landslide is a possibility. I think that would just be spiritually devastating to the Democratic Party, not just to lose in 2020, but to lose by a wide margin and to have this nagging sense that they lost because they nominated the wrong guy. For those of us who went through the 2016 campaign on the Republican side, this is a really fascinating cycle uh, because it feels like you're watching the same thing. You're watching everybody else sort of competing for lanes or against each other. And then you got Sanders who's competing to win and has built his own little kind of, you know, small army of supporters who are really dedicated and he could end up with the biggest chunk of the pie until it turns into a one-on-one candidate. And if you think, you know, well, okay, this will change when it turns into a one-on-one race. Ask Ted Cruz and John Kasich how that worked out for him. (laughs) Well, here's the thing that fascinates me with this, because there's somebody out there, allegedly, so he was talking to somebody, you have to think, who actually was looking at this uh, landscape of the Democratic race and thinking, man, Bernie might actually beat out Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Mike Bloomberg and Amy Klobuchar. I got it. I know exactly who can fire up the base like no one else. It's John Kerry. Now, he's in his mid-70s, so he fits the demographic again uh, with uh, Biden and Sanders and Warren. But uh, the idea that he's going to be the guy to suddenly galvanize the entire party together is pretty laughable. You know, the thing that I don't quite get, and again, maybe this person on the other end, maybe he's being polite. Maybe he's hoping for a job with the Kerry Foundation or whatever Kerry's running these days, you know. But there is this weird sense of like, okay, so what does John Kerry get you that Joe Biden doesn't? I, I don't, and I'll be honest, I don't get it. He's already lost. I, I don't, you know, he's, he's, he's Biden without the charm, I guess you could say. He's you know, <laughs> haughty, as they like to say. I, he seems like the absolute worst guy you could run. Um, but I think it does kind of indicate, to you, again, it says less about Kerry than about the uh, indisputable panic that appears to be going on just under the surface around Joe Biden. Wow. All right, Jim. I know your entire morning jolt is spin on no matter how all the uh, candidates finish. So everybody's got a ready spin and how it's not devastating if they do terribly and how it's the, the greatest thing that's ever happened if they win. But uh, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, most people seem to think Bernie's going to win. Bernie's people are even saying Bernie's going to win, which is exactly the opposite of how you're supposed to do these things. You're supposed to keep expectations low and then blow the significance of whatever actually happens out of proportion to your candidate's favor. But uh is Bernie going to come out on top tonight? I, 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 right now, if, if I had to bet, I would bet in that direction. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be, um, you know, like I said, the top, the difference between the top four, uh, the first place and fourth place is probably only going to be about 10 points. So, you know, and any of these guys, you know, doing a little better or a little worse wouldn't be that shocking. I, I do think, though, that, look, if Sanders doesn't win, it will be a mild disappointment because he seemed to have momentum in these closing days. Um, I do think this is a much bigger night for, say, Pete Buttigieg, uh, as we are constantly reminded to pronounce. Um, because, look, he's put a lot of time and effort into it. Now, he's doing not not badly in uh, New Hampshire. I think what fairly would kind of raise, raise the question is, okay, if you're Mayor Pete and you're coming in third place, third place, third place, when do you get to first place? When do you start winning? Uh, maybe that keeps you in the game, but at some point it's like, okay, nice job, kid. Now move over for the big dogs. 
Um, I think Warren probably comes in fourth, and I think this begins the slow sinking of the SS Warren. Um, again, you know, fourth place won't be bad. She'll probably still get be above the delegate line of 15%. But, uh, you know, for somebody who was once arguably the front runner, this feels like a pretty steep decline. And I think a second, fourth straight finish in New Hampshire would really do some damage for her. Um, and I think the other really big interesting question tonight is, does Amy Klobuchar get above the 15%? And if she doesn't, what's she doing here? Because, yes, <laughs> she got endorsed by the Manchester Union leader, but... Look, this is this is what's supposed to be her natural state. You know, she doesn't have the money and the name recognition of the other candidates. This is where she kind of needs to make her stand. And if she's not going to come out of, of Iowa with delegates, where does she come out with delegates? Um, it's conceivable that I think she could quit uh, after New Hampshire if she has two straight fifth place finishes, uh, which is kind of interesting because I thought she was going to be pitching herself as, look, I'm the Goldilocks candidate. I'm left, but I'm not too left. I'm centrist, but I'm not too centrist. I'm not too young. I'm not too old. I'm everybody's second choice. I can unite the party and nobody else can. Um, and I don't, for this, if you're a Republican, you might be a little worried about that. If you want, it was, if you want to maximize Republican uh, Democratic division, you're probably pretty happy with the, how, how things are shaking out. You want Amy Klobuchar off the, off the list of options as quickly as possible. If Warren or any other senator uh, does way worse than expectations, does Trump mock them in the State of the Union address tomorrow? Almost certainly. <laughs> Oh, man. It's going to be a long week, but uh, it might not be a boring week. Jim, we'll see. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget about our new friends over at Bluevine. You'll want to go to getbluevine.com slash martini and apply for that credit line for your growing business. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review, and we will see you on Tuesday on the Three Martini Lunch.